Good morning. I'd like you to join me if you have your Bibles in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to talk this morning about a quality that is essential in your life, and that is confidence. We see that in sports. What we call momentum often is just an abundance of confidence. One of the most talented golfers in the world, David Duvall, rarely even makes the cut in tournaments today. Why? Lack of confidence. In fact, I heard about a golfer who didn't have much confidence and he came to a hole where there was a water hazard right in front of him, so he reached deep in his bag and he pulled out the oldest, most scuffed up ball he could find and he set it on the tee. As he stepped up to the ball, he heard a voice from heaven saying, use a new ball. He said, what? Use a new ball. So he reached in his bag and got out a brand new Titleist Pro V1, put it on the tee, took a practice swing. It was ugly. Voice from heaven came back, use the old ball. In the 1998 NBA playoffs, Michael Jordan shot a free throw with his eyes closed. That's confidence. It doesn't hurt to have skill either. Judging by the number of books on the subject, it is evident today that people are searching for confidence. I went on Amazon.com and I found over 600 thousand links to books on confidence. Here are a few of the titles. Instant Confidence, Your Power Within, Maximum Confidence, Develop Your Self-Confidence, Confidence, The Power to Do Anything You Want, What to Say When You Talk to Yourself. How to Build a Stronger You, Evolving self-confidence. The magic of thinking big. Well, I would like to suggest a better book this morning. And if you understand this book, you won't need those 600,000 other books. And the key to confidence is addressed in one sentence. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 4 where Paul says, such confidence we have through Christ toward God. And what I want to do this morning is suggest two steps to a biblical view of confidence. Two steps to a proper view of confidence. And those two steps are simply these. Turn from self-confidence and take hold of Christ's First of all, turn from self-confidence. I looked in some of the summaries of those books, and here's a couple quotes I found. Self-confidence is the assurance and belief in one's own abilities. Self-confidence is the prerequisite to great undertakings. All of the secular books stress the importance of self-confidence. But as is often the case, the Bible takes the opposite approach 
on a subject like this. And Jesus said in Luke 9.23, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Jesus says the first step in following me is denying yourself. The short definition of sin is selfishness. We are all born with a desire to put ourselves in the center of our little universe. We are all born with the desire to view life from an egocentric perspective. And so Jesus says you must deny self. The problem with self-confidence is self. And we must turn from it. Now what does that mean? Well, let me suggest four angles. I've listed them in your bulletin. Number one is self-promotion. Here are a couple other quotes I picked up in those books. If you don't believe in yourself, who will? Put your future in good hands, your own. You know, the world values confidence through self-promotion because it's the only kind of confidence it knows. One of the characters on the old Saturday Night Live was Stuart Smalley, played by Al Franken when he used to be funny. Stuart was a talk show host of a self-help show called Daily Affirmations with Stuart Smalley. He, he, he wore a yellow button-down collared shirt with a baby blue cardigan, and he would stand in front of a mirror, and he would say, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. Now that was funny because it was a parody on the whole self-help movement. Unfortunately, people laughed about it, but they keep buying into the self-help movement. Is that what confidence is? Do you look in the mirror and fake it until you make it? Do you look in the mirror and sing, How Great Thou Art? You know what Paul said about himself in Romans 7, 18? He said, I know that nothing good dwells in me. There's a title for a book that won't sell. How to discover that there's nothing good in you. Paul said in Philippians 3, 3, that we are those who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. And then he goes on to list all the things that he might have had confidence in and he calls them rubbish, which literally means manure. Everything I've done is horse manure in contrast to knowing Christ. You don't gain confidence by promoting self. Second angle is self-preservation. This is the person who says when asked to do something, no, I can't do anything because I'm too incompetent. This is kind of the opposite of self-promotion. 
These people don't deify themselves, they denigrate themselves. And then they call that humility. They stand in front of the mirror and say, I'm nobody, I'm nothing, I'm a dirty dog. And then they walk around thinking, I'm so humble. I'm so humble. That's not humility. That's just poor posture. You want to know something else? It's really disguised pride. Because you're really not denying yourself. You are protecting yourself. You want to know why some of you don't attempt big things for God? Because you're afraid that you will fail and you will look bad. You don't attempt big things for God because me, myself, and I might get wounded. You say, oh, I could never talk to anyone about my faith. I'm too shy. You know what you really mean? I'm so in love with my precious self that I'm afraid I might get rejected. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 1.7, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. In other words, God doesn't want you to be inhibited. God wants you to be inhabited with His Spirit of power. Third angle is self-performance. True confidence doesn't come from what you've done, doesn't come from what you do, doesn't come from what you think you can do. And yet, for most people, confidence is tied to performance. If I see positive results, if I get a promotion, if my status rises, I'm confident. What's the second question most people ask you when they meet you? After what's your name? What do you do? And if you get to answer that question by saying, I do this important thing, they say, wow. If you answer that question by having to say, I do this menial thing, I'm just this, I'm just that, they say, hmm. And oftentimes your confidence meter rises or falls depending upon that answer and that response. But you know, the reality is that true confidence is not tied to your title and it's not tied to your list of accomplishments. The Pharisees found their confidence in self-accomplishment and Jesus reserved his harshest words for them. In Matthew 7, 22, Jesus said, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not do a lot of things? And Jesus is going to say, depart from me, for I never knew you. 
Paul pointed to all he had done in Philippians chapter 3 and he said, I counted all loss for the sake of Christ. Confidence doesn't come from your accomplishments. I think a lot of Christians fall into this trap. You know, you do something and you find out that you do it pretty well and you enjoy it, and pretty soon you say, this is my ministry with a capital M and a capital Y. And without noticing it, your confidence comes from what you do. Or even worse, your identity comes from what you do. And you find yourself proudly saying, I lead this ministry. I teach this class. And if a staff person comes along and says, we'd like to add this person to your ministry, you resist. Or if we say, we'd like to move you from that ministry to another ministry, you become defensive. Why? Because your confidence is coming from what you do. And confidence doesn't come from your accomplishments. Fourth angle is self-popularity. Some people live under the constant pressure of trying to please other people. Their confidence either soars or wanes with the applause or lack of applause of other people. They know the saying, you can please some of the people some of the time, but you can't please all of the people all of the time, and yet they try to do it anyway. And when they can't please everyone, they feel defeated and deflated. Some people are so paranoid when they see a football team huddled, they think they must be talking about me. Actually, if you realized how little people actually think about you, you'd be surprised. You know what they're thinking about? The same thing you are yourself. And when you're thinking, I wonder what they're thinking about me, guess what they're thinking? They're thinking, I wonder what he's thinking about me. I read a great, great quote the other day. I don't, don't remember who said it, but it's a great motto. What other people say about me is none of my business. I like that. Let me tell you something that you need to get today. One of the most important decisions you'll ever make in your life is to decide whether you're trying to please God or you're trying to please other people because you can't do both. You can't do both. Paul said in Galatians 1.10, Am I trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. If you please God, it doesn't matter if you don't please anybody else. But if you displease God, it doesn't matter if you please everybody else. So to have true, total confidence, you have to turn from self-confidence.
confidence, which means turning from self-promotion, self-preservation, self-performance, and self-popularity. Which brings us to the second step, and that is take hold of Christ's confidence. Notice our verse again. Such confidence we have through Christ toward God. True confidence comes from seeing yourself as God sees you. And how does God see you? He sees you through Christ. Your confidence and your identity comes from being in Christ. That's a little two-word phrase that Paul uses 93 times in his letters. In Christ. And true confidence begins, as we read in the last two words of our verse, true confidence begins toward God. Ephesians 3.12 says, In Jesus and through faith in Him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I imagine if you got asked to meet the president in the Oval Office, you'd be a little bit apprehensive about that. Or if you got invited to have an audience with Queen Elizabeth in Buckingham Palace, you would probably be a little nervous about that. But in Christ, we have the freedom and confidence to approach God Almighty, the Creator of the universe. And that is the key to confidence. You see, if you are confident in His presence, you can be confident anywhere else. Now, let's elaborate on this a little more. Instead of standing in front of the mirror and making self-affirmations, I want us to stand before the mirror of God's Word and make some Christ affirmations. I have suggested four this morning. Number one, I am loved. The one thing that people are universally searching for today is love and acceptance. And if you are in Christ, the Bible says you are accepted in the beloved. God has accepted you. And you are loved by God. Now, how do you measure that? Let me give you two suggestions. Number one, God loves you so much that He gave His one and only Son to die for you. That's how much He loves you. But there's a second way you can look at it. Did you know that you are loved so much that God loves you just as much as He loves Jesus Christ? In His prayer in John 17 to the Father, Jesus said this in verse 23, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them, that's us, and have loved them as you have loved me. Wow. God loves you just as much as He loves Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes people love us conditionally. They say, well, if you'll change this, and if you'll change that, then I'll love you. God loves you unconditionally. 
He doesn't change you so that he will love you. He changes you because he loves you. And he didn't start loving you when you got your act together. In Ephesians 1, 4, and 5, the Bible says God loves you so much that he chose you before he made the world so that he could adopt you as his child. I don't know about you, but that gives me confidence. I am loved. Second affirmation, Christ affirmation. I am righteous. We get to chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians. We read this in verse 21. It says, We have become the righteousness of God in Christ. That means I am just as righteous as Jesus Christ because I'm in Christ. And how righteous is Jesus Christ? Perfect. That's why the Bible refers to us over and over again as saints. What does saint mean? It means holy one. I am Saint Dan. Saint Clay. Saint David. You don't have to sing when the saints go marching in. Oh Lord, I want to be in that number. You are in that number. You are a saint. Being in Christ is like Noah being in the ark. He was in the ark. He was safe from the waters of judgment. He was totally secure and confident in the midst of the waters of God's wrath because he was in the ark. And the ark is a picture of Christ. You are in Christ. Noah may have fallen down in the ark, but he never fell out. You may fall down in Christ, but you will never fall out. You say, well, as a preacher, you need to keep reminding people that they're dirty, rotten sinners. Don't worry, I probably will. You say, as a preacher, you shouldn't tell everybody they're secure in Christ. You shouldn't tell them they're already a saint. You shouldn't tell them they're just as righteous as Jesus because they may get careless about sin. Let me ask you a question. Who's more worried about dirt? A guy in grimy overalls or a guy in a white tuxedo? You see, when you understand who you are in Christ, you don't want anything to do with sin because you want to be as close as you can to the holy righteous one who gave his life so that you could be as righteous as him. We should be confessing our sins, yes. But we should also be confessing our righteousness in Christ. Third, Christ affirmation. I am rich. Sometimes people lack confidence because when they face a challenge, they're afraid they don't have what it takes to be successful. Well, you don't have what it takes to be successful, but God does. And He has entrusted it to you. Ephesians 1.3 says, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Every one. 2 Peter 1.3 says that His divine power has granted to us everything 
pertaining to life and godliness. Philippians 4.19 says, My God will supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You have more resources than you can handle. You are rich. Now the sad thing is that a lot of us don't realize it and don't use those resources. When Moses died, God chose Joshua to take the children of Israel into the promised land. He had already promised them the land, but he said something interesting to Joshua. He said, I will give you every place where you set your foot. The land's yours, but in order to have it, you've got to step on it. You've got to possess your possessions. You've got to plant the foot of faith on the promise of God. And I think that applies to us. God has given us all these resources and some of us never use the resources because we're afraid to step out in faith and trust God. We don't need His power because we never try to do anything that requires His power. Let me ask you a question. What have you attempted for God in the last month that you absolutely could not accomplish without His power? That's what it is to step out in faith. He's blessed us with the resources. They're not going to show up until you get out of the boat. heard about a fellow who saved up his money to do something he had longed to do all his life, and that was go on a Caribbean cruise. He went on the cruise, came home, his friends asked him how it was, and he said, it was great. He said, I was able to uh, sneak in peanut butter and jelly so I could eat in my room and not have to pay for meals. They said, I hate to tell you this, but meals were included. Let me tell you something. God's spiritual plan for you is all-inclusive. And some of us as Christians are eating peanut butter and jelly when God has blessed us richly with His resources. Fourth Christ affirmation. I can do all things. The most confident verse I know of in the Bible is Philippians 4.13 where Paul says, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. What can you do? All things. How? Through Christ. But there's a balancing verse to that. Jesus said in John 15.5, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Through Him you can do all things. Apart from Him you can do no things. You see, it's all about Christ's confidence. I am loved in Christ. I am righteous in Christ. I am rich in Christ. I can do all things in Christ. So what's the key to total confidence? It's to exhibit Christ confidence and not self-confidence. And how do I do that? 
Let me suggest that you say what Paul said. And you say it every single day. Paul said it in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. That's the key to confidence. I've been crucified. I'm dead. Christ lives in me. And I am confident in Christ, not me. I don't know any dead people that fear failure. I, I don't walk into cemeteries and hear a lot of worrying and fretting going on about whether I'm going to succeed or fail. I am crucified with Christ. It's not me that lives anymore. It's Christ who lives through me. When Moses asked God his name at the burning bush, you remember God's answer? God said, I am. There's a lot in that name. It means I'm the eternal I am. I'm, I am yesterday, I am today, I am tomorrow. But it also means I am everything you will ever want and everything you will ever need. He is I am. In his book, I am not, but I know I am. Let me say that again. I am not, but I know I am. Which means, I am not, but I know I am. By Louis Giglio, he expands on the burning bush concept and he, and he writes this little analogy. I just want to share it with you in closing. I am not, but I know I am. I need help. I am. I need hope. I am. Who can figure out this mess? I am. What really works? I am. Does anything last? I am. I need a fresh start. I am. Nothing's real anymore. I am. I'm not sure who's on my team. I am. Nobody's listening to me. I am. I can't hold on. I am. I'm pouring my life into others. Who's pouring into me? I am. If I fail, who'll get the job done? I am. I'm not even sure why I'm here. I am. I've given all I have and it's not enough. I am. I'm tired. I am. I quit. I am. I need a drink. I am. I need a fix. I am. I can't. I am. I need a lover. I am. Will somebody just hold me? I am. I'm not able. I am. And what does the great I am have to say about himself? He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
I am the resurrection and the life. I am the bread of life. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the living water. I am Jesus. I am the first. I am the last. I am the alpha. I am the omega. I am everything you will ever want and everything you will ever need. Will you turn from confidence in yourself today? and put your confidence in the great I am? That's the question I want you to answer in your heart of hearts today as the praise team comes back and we stand and close our service in reflective worship before him.